This is The Ordinary Christian Podcast, a podcast dedicated to real people like you seeking to live out your Christian faith in the ordinary aspects of everyday life. My name is Craig Thompson, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm a husband, father, pastor, and writer. I hope that this podcast will help you to use the margins of your everyday life to live more intentionally for Jesus. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have with me Thomas Austin. Uh, Thomas is a native of Camden, South Carolina, where I am here. He He's actually a, a living legend among uh, high school football players there. Had a great playing career and after that went on and played football at uh, Clemson University. Uh, from there, he had an opportunity to go and spend some time in the NFL um, and played with uh, several NFL teams with the Vikings, the Patriots, the Texans, um, the Panthers, the Colts, the Patriots as well. I think, right, Thomas? Yes, sir. Um, and uh, has coached at Georgia State and has just recently um, been named to uh, be a part of the staff at Clemson University again. So, Thomas Austin, thank you so much for being with me on the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's awesome. So I I, I gave people the the the, the big story about um, about your your athletic career, but I know there's a lot more to your life than just your athletic career. Tell us about your your family. Yeah, so I uh, grew up in uh, in a large family. I'm one of six kids. I'm the fourth in that lineup, and um, and so I, I have three older sisters that are four, six, and eight years older. So. Um, you know, in fact, a lot of people in Camden didn't know for a long time that, that there were three older sisters. We were at one church until seventh grade, and then we moved to another church kind of eighth grade on. And so some of those folks didn't realize there was a, a gap. So it was almost like having two separate, you know, sibling groups. So three older sisters and then a younger brother, two years younger, and a younger sister, four years younger. Uh, but, but grew up in a military family. My dad was in the Army. Uh, he retired as a lieutenant colonel. And so, although I consider myself a Camden native, I moved to the area when I was seven, seven or eight. Um, growing up, we moved around a lot. And so I, I remember living in in five or six different states before uh, Camden. And so, uh, but, but grew up in a in a Christian home. Um, <clears throat> the, the gospel was shared very regularly in my, my household. I uh, remember doing devotions and, and scripture uh, memorization uh, as, as at a young age. Um, and then also uh, remember probably just as influentially for me was was hearing my older sisters coming you know back from youth group or coming back from from college and hearing um, you know a living faith you know how, how their faith was, was was real and and dynamic and it was a relationship uh, with Jesus not just a, a religious event they participated in. Um, so, you know, I, I remember coming to faith at a young age, um, really it was through, through, um, um, <clears throat> partaking in, in, um, in the Lord's supper or, or not partaking as a young kid. I remember seeing my older sisters participate, my parents participate and not understanding why I wasn't able to participate. And, and every, every time we did it, my, my parents would explain, uh, what it meant and, and so realizing kind of even though I'm in this family, I'm in this church, I'm not really fully uh, a full participant in in that ordinance. And so um, it was that was really I remember that kind of kind of being influential as a, as a young boy. Um, and uh, so that's kind of how I was first you know, introduced to faith. Yeah, well, um, <clears throat> fast forward, you are fully grown now. And by fully grown, we mean really grown. Uh, fully grown, yep. At, uh, uh, but um, what? Uh, tell us about your your wife, your children. What's life look like for Thomas Austin these days? So I am married. I've been married for twelve years. I actually got married. My wife Margaret, uh, maiden name is Hall. Uh, she's from York, South Carolina, and we met at Clemson. We're we're, we're friends with other with a group of people. Uh, started dating in our sophomore year of college. And then we got married up before my, my junior season. So um, I tell people all the time, you know, maybe 10,000 guys at, at Clemson. And I realized if she graduated and I let her go, there's a lot more men out there. So I had to kind of lock her in early, you know? And so, uh, so we got married before my, 
junior, registered junior season, our senior year academically. So we were married for a year and then she finished school and was working full time my last season. Um, we have four children. Adam uh, just turned nine. Isaiah just turned seven. Hazel just turned five. And then our youngest is Walt and he's uh, 15 months. And let me tell you, he's a, they've all been pretty, pretty active and uh, he might be the most active of the bunch. So something no, about that fourth no kid, family. there's something Sorry. about that. There's something about that fourth kid. I'm telling you, it really is. It really is. It's uh, it's sanctifying. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's sanctifying. Um, well, Thomas, I've asked you to uh, to join with me today, and I, I do appreciate you doing it. By the way, I feel I, I feel like I'm right there. You're you got the you're in the offensive line room at Clemson, the big yep. big OL sign behind you. I feel like I'm being recruited right now. So if you need me, right? I've, I've been I've been a Gamecock fan for a long time, but if you need me, man, I've, I've still got a few years of eligibility. I might might be able to help. Well, you. we're always looking for new converts up here, so it's never too late, brother. <laughs> Well, listen, we, we really want to talk a bit about your, your faith and, and how um, your experience, your unique experiences as a, as a um, big time uh, college football player, in, NFL player, and now as a, as a college football coach, how, how those things impact your, your Christian life. And, and then hopefully, maybe even more important, how your Christian life impacts those aspects of your, uh, of your, your, your everyday life. Um, you had a chance to play Clemson. So what years were you at Clemson? Uh, I was at Clemson 05 to 09. Did you do anything good there? Uh, yeah, man, we won some games. Um, we uh, lost some games. Sometimes I think you remember the losses more than the wins. Um, but uh, was here, Coach Tommy Bowden was the head coach when I was getting recruited out of high school. Um, and, uh, and and Lou Holtz was the head coach of South Carolina, uh, being an in-state kid. Uh, really not, I really did not have an allegiance to either, either school. And um, Cause my, you know, like I said, I was transplant. And so my, my dad actually got his master's from South Carolina, um, which he doesn't always share with, with folks, but uh, we, you know, just through the recruiting process, um, kind of coach, Holt, it was coach Holtz's last year uh, was my senior year, uh, June, yeah, senior year. And, and so he was, wasn't as engaged in the recruiting process, developing a relationship with coach Bowden and then, and the recruiting coach at the time was Brad Scott, who was my offensive line coach at Clemson. Uh, and, and, and recruiting is all about relationships, even, even now, regardless of the technological advances and, and camps and films and all this stuff. And so I really developed a great relationship with him. You know, I think um, South Carolina was probably too close to home for me at the time. Getting a couple hours away was good. Uh, but just developing those relationships with those coaches and then, um, you know, just knowing kind of the holistic approach that I thought Clemson offered at the time and, and then Coach Spurrier came on uh, after my senior year and, and, and really kind of turned up the juice in the recruiting process and, and, and tried to kind of get back into it but and had a few conversations with them. But at that time, it was probably, you know, a little bit too late. Um, and then was here for the transition when, when uh, Coach Sweeney took over my senior year was his first full season as the head coach. So 08 was his interim year, uh, which was a really tough year. And then 2009 was his first full season as the head coach. And um, first time we went to the AC championship uh, and, and lost to Georgia Tech at the time, but, but really kind of started to kind of lay the foundation for, for the program uh, to, to where it is now. Um, but, but, you know, to kind of answer one of your questions earlier about just kind of the intersectionality of, of my faith and sports, um, you know, I was, was sports was always something important in my life. I just remember as an early age, loving football. Uh, my, my, my dad was the, the commandant at Cannon Military Academy at the time. We moved to South Carolina. And so yeah, I could go out. There were 300 kids on campus. So there's always a pickup game going on somewhere. And even when I was, you know, a couple of years younger than those kids, was able to go out there and, and run around with them and have fun. And so, you know, sports was always an outlet for me. I always love to compete. Um, I think having three older sisters who just beat the tar out of me all the time was helpful um, and, and tough. And uh, but then, you know, a big part of my my story, my testimony um, was that I ended up having three knee surgeries in about a 13 month span from the end of my freshman year. You know, played JV football uh, was was it was called up on varsity in 2001 because of a few injuries with some older players and uh, and ended up playing in you know, for the last couple of games, we won the state championship that year. 
and then had a knee surgery uh, on a ski trip and then uh, came back for my sophomore year, had another injury, two more surgeries. And so I remember, you know, having a lot of potential and thinking I really love football and, and, and then having three surgeries in a row. And my dad saying, you know, listen, you don't have at that time, people kind of started to say, hey, you might have a future college might be an option. And and I don't know if I I, I guess it was subconsciously feeling this desire to help with the scholarship and for my dad to say, hey, listen, you know, you don't have to play football to go to college. We'll, we'll, we'll make it work. We'll find a way. And if you want to play golf, you want something else, we can we can do that. And that feeling like a, a big relief for me. Um, but that was it was really never a question that I wasn't going to play football. I mean, I just regardless of having three surgeries, I, I, I love the game of football. I loved wrestling, did that as well. But football was really my passion. And so um, I think early on, it was important for me to understand, number one, that football was fleeting. Sports was fleeting. You know, all of us at some point, our careers are over with. Um, you don't think that's going to happen when you're 15 or 16. But but after having a few knee surgeries, realizing that, hey, you're you're an injury or two away from, from never playing this game again. Um, if football was the foundation of my life, the most important thing in my life, then then I would have been very disappointed uh, when it ended. Um, so I, I think, you know, just and as a young kid watching watching the NFL, or watching MLB, uh, my dad always pointed out, hey, you know, so and so Reggie White, he's a he's a great Christian man. He loves the Lord. You could be a great Christian man. You can love the Lord. You can be passionate about your faith and you can be a, a really good football player. You know, those things aren't mutually exclusive. Mm. And, and so even as a ninth grader, 10th grader, realizing that, man, if the Lord, the Lord blesses me enough to continue to play this game of football, uh, then I, I viewed it as, as ministry opportunities um, from, from, from that, that point on. Um, you know, God's placed me in this, this locker room with this group of guys for a very specific reason. Uh, you know, uh, and if he, he allows me to continue to play, he's putting me in more locker rooms and, and now as a coach, view the same way. And, and, and football, sports in general, uh, brings together such a, a, a different group of people from different families, different skin colors, different socioeconomic backgrounds. And, and, but it's a unifying factor. I mean, it, you know, when you're, you're playing offensive line, it doesn't really matter if the guy beside you, um, is rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether he's a Christian or not a Christian. You know, it's a matter of unifying together to, to try to achieve your goal. And so um, that's one thing I've always loved about football and and just how I've always felt like it, it has uh, my faith in football has always gone hand in hand. And so as you progressed, you know, your time at Clemson and then, of course, you had an opportunity to go and, and, and spend some time in the NFL. Were you able to to maintain that strong commitment to Christ even in those those environments that maybe where, where some people would struggle with their faith? Yeah, so you know, um, having parents that were believers certainly was was influential. Um, and then I was very fortunate had a youth pastor Brent Kendall in high school who who discipled myself and three other guys. Uh, and so I feel like I, I grew in high school. Um, you know the. Uh, my faith was an important reason why I, I, I picked Clemson. I felt like I developed a relationship with, with Brad Scott and, and, and knew that um, there were opportunities for my faith to grow. And, and that, that existed at other schools that I was recruited right. by. Um, you know, certainly I think when you get to college, you, you learn that you have to take ownership of your faith and you have to learn to defend your faith. And yeah. um, I remember being in environmental science class and biology class here at Clemson and certain aspects of my faith were challenged and it was really good for me yeah. because it, it doesn't matter anymore. You can't use the, well, mama told me this or daddy told me this, or, you know, the Bible says, well, does the Bible really say that? Can, can you view scripture in a critical way? Um, you know, um, the Bible wasn't written as a, um, a science book. Right. And so it, it, it um, you, anyway, and so, it was good for me to kind of read the Bible in a critical way and, Oh, the Bible does support this, or, you know what, the, we may not know the answers to this issue. And so, um, but, but getting to Clemson, you know, start realizing that there were opportunities to grow in my faith, um, not only having a man in, in, in high school, um, but, but also when I got to Clemson was able to connect uh, with local churches 
um, connect with other men in, in, in the community that cared enough about me to, to, to spend time and invest in me yeah. as, as a man. And so one of those men was a man named Wallace McNair who, who lived in Greenville, who Clemson started a, um, a, a mentorship program uh, and partnered us with, with men in the community. And some of those relationships were, were more business. Some of those were, you know, kind of mentorships. Um, others, you know, we talked about our faith, if that was something that was important to us. And so, you know, having another man who, who invested in me in college helped me, I think, grow and develop and kind of know who I was. Um, and so when I got to college, I didn't really have this crisis of faith, right? It was more of a, well, this is what I believe. Now, does the Bible really say that? And can I believe in that? And so, um, and, and so naturally, um, view, I viewed the locker room as, as my ministry field. And so, you know, as I got older, there were opportunities. I, I, interrupt you. I like, I like how you said naturally, right? So, and how, how does that become your, your, a natural thing? It only becomes a natural thing when right. you've been raised in such a way to say that, right. you know, the place where God's planted you is the place where you minister, right? Now, not everybody says, well, naturally the locker room was my, man, I'm, I, I, I'm yeah. not, not, not picking at you. I just, like no, I no, yeah, to, no, that's to appreciate how unique right. that can be because right. so often we see those as not fertile opportunities for right. for sharing yeah. the gospel, but sure. naturally, sure. that's good. That's a good right. word. Man. Well, and, and you know, I think that obviously the Great Commission speaks on that, right? In the end of Matthew, the Lord is uh, Jesus is about to send back in heaven. He gives this commission to his disciples, and we know there are other people present, and and that it wasn't just for the disciples, it's for for believers that we're called to to. Um, to make disciples. Um, and, and in Acts, you know, I think Paul talks a lot about um, being a Christian in the marketplace, right? And, 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 uh, and so um, being intentional about our faith is not just reserved for pastors, like you're right. saying. Yeah. Right? And so um, we're called to be salt and light in, in whatever sphere that the Lord has called us in. We're all called to be pastors, you know, I think uh, it would be interesting, right? Because the Lord needs Christians in the marketplace. He needs Christians yeah. that are dentists, that are construction workers, that are teachers, that are football coaches, you know. And, and so, um, you know, most of the people that I come in contact with that maybe came to faith at a later time in life, it was primarily through the Lord using another sinful person that they just became you know, like, hey, man, this, this, this guy's a Christian, but he doesn't fit all the maybe presuppositions of a Christian that I have, right? Or you, you get away, you know, from the Bible belt a little bit and you realize it's not culturally acceptable to be a Christian. It's not culturally cool um, that when you get to college, you know, and mom and dad aren't taking you to church. It's, is this, is this important enough for me to, to carve out time in my, in my life and my week, you know, to grow in this area. And I, I appreciate that you, you, you've taken this story and going all the way back to your, your growth as a believer at Clemson. I, have this conversation with parents a lot. They're, they're looking for where their kids are going to go off to school and, and with teenagers, right. they're trying to figure out what right. the steps are going to be. Yeah. And it's like, well, if I want to grow as a Christian, then I need to go to a Christian school. Right. Um, you know, or if I go to one of these state schools or I go to this liberal school, then I, then, then I'm just going to, you know, basically give, give away my faith. And right. the reality is at least here in the South and, and the truth of the matter is most places across the country, right. You can, you can go to Harvard and get plugged in with a Christian organization on campus at Harvard and grow as a believer there. And it, there, there are Christian organizations. I mean, your brother's at, at West Point doing, doing that right. very thing. There are Christian organizations on campus right. At uh, every college, university, uh, probably across the, across the, the United States, and we've got an opportunity. Our kids have got the opportunity to grow in their faith at college, regardless of where they are, what they're doing. It really is just that. And, and are, are we preparing our kids in such a way that they're going to say, "Mom and Dad aren't making me do it, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it anyway." Right. Yeah. yeah, and and uh, even at Clemson, people can grow in Christ, which is really hard for me to believe. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Well, the sunset is orange. Usually it's not, black. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I think, you know, my, my wife and I are having those conversations with our kids, you know, yeah. we, we just, uh, you know, we can get into this a little bit, but, but, you know, I grew up in the South. Right. And, and then my wife and I lived in new England, Massachusetts, uh, went to church in Providence, Rhode Island. We lived in Indianapolis, Indiana, we lived in Houston, Texas. We lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. We just spent two years living in, in, in downtown Atlanta, um, and so we lived in some very different contexts, um, 
you know, one a couple of things I'd say, you know, social science shows us, I mean, Gallup polls are all over the place that show you uh, that one of the most important aspects of developing your faith, um, political affiliation, you know, some of these things that, that people kind of hold on to when they get older is, is, was it modeled for you in the household? Mm. And so um, there's the old adage that more is caught than taught. Right. And, and so there's been social science books on, on, um, you know, parents that drop their kids off at church uh, versus parents that take their kids to church uh, versus parents that disciple their kids within the household. And, and so um, at the end of the day, right, it's an individual um, decision um, for that relationship for us with, with Jesus. And, and so that, that is true, but, but um, you know, foundational to that is, is what we learned as a kid. And so, you know, I think, um, you know, a similar conversation we've had about schooling, right? So with our kids, you know, I have friends and family that are, you, know, you homeschool your kids no matter what, or you better go to Christian school no matter what, or you better go to public school no matter what, right? Where, whereas I think my wife and I've had that conversation of well, each individual child is different. Each, each, every place you live is right. different, um, you know? And so much in the same way, uh, when you get to college that, that um, certainly there are some schools where, if you go to Bible college, right, you're going to chapel every week. Well, at a public school, you don't go to chapel every week. Uh, if you went to school at Harvard, it would be a little harder to, to get involved in, in organizations. But, um, you know, we were involved in a church up in New England. And in, in New England, you know, less than 2% of the population right. are, are born-again evangelical believers. And so we had to drive 30 minutes just to find a church that believed in, in the Trinity. And mm-hmm. so, um, now that man, that church, we probably learned more about community at this, you know, 40 or 50 member church, um, because those people were making sacrifices for their faith to be involved in that community. Wow. Uh, it wasn't like you said, like I said, culturally beneficial, right. To, to, yeah. so, uh, and I had this conversation with someone recently about, um, you know, in, in some ways I, I thought it was easier to share your faith in the North because there, there, there was no, it was very clear what was and you could engage in open conversation and dialogue. And here's what I believe. And they'd show what they believe. Well, why do you believe that? What authority do you claim, you know, versus the South? We all just assume a lot of us assume that, that the person beside me is, is a Christian. So um, yes, I think um, you can learn and grow and develop in your faith, regardless of, of where you go. Um, but again, I think within the context of, of the local church and, and with other Christians that are discipling and mentoring you. And, and so that was, I think those things have, have held true for us. And, and I'll say this, we've, you know, I th- my wife said we've moved 17 times in our, in our marriage, I, which I, I, I quit counting. Uh, but every time we move somewhere. What a great husband, right? Yeah. What have you oh, said? Oh, yeah. You know, we should get to like right. 12, yeah. you know, just kind of. Um, but uh, everywhere we've gone. You know, we've we've had community with sports, with football, whether I was playing college or professionally. Uh, but once I, once we got involved in a local church, you know, we really really got community. And and regardless of whether you're in, like I said, Texas or, or Massachusetts, you know, you can find deep, rich community with other believers. You know, that's one of the things that we've doubled down on here, uh, especially in the last. You know, we we come out of the pandemic, right? Everything's been crazy. We mm-hmm. we we manage things as as well as we could, but. Right. We, we're, we're back fully engaged inside um, for the last uh, three or four weeks. You know, we, we've gone to sort of a pre-pandemic uh, schedule. And um, <clears throat> and that's been our focus is reconnect with community because we just see so many. I mean, our culture is sort of, you know, distant anyway. I'm, I'm actually, yeah. before you and I got on, I was, I was writing a, a blog post about friendship and the lack thereof and how terrible mm-hmm. we, we don't have relationships in our world anymore. But uh uh, but man, just the, the the real beauty that there is in a church that values biblical community, uh, accountable community, and, and and the way that we can be encouraged to grow in Christ when there's that brother or sister that puts their arm around us and says, right. you know, "How's your day? How's your how's your quiet time? Right. How can I help you right. to be a father? How can I be a mother?" Those things are yeah. so valuable. Well, you know, you just made me think. There's something that's been on my heart a lot these last few weeks. You know, as you continue to see spiritual leaders, you know, men that, that appear to be these, these strong Christian men, you know, that pass away or the end of the life stuff comes out that they were involved in or sexually abusing women or, or children or, 
and you, you, you try to reconcile these things of how, how can this man that, that appeared to be such a stalwart of the faith have this secret hidden sin that no one knew about or, um, and, and my friend gave me this article, um, and this guy wrote it and, um, a pastor, two pastors primarily, but it applied to, to us as well. Uh, and he references, I don't know if you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, who's a, he was a German pastor that was part of the resistance movement against Hitler was in, ended up being killed uh, a few months before, but, but, um, he was involved in an underground seminary and was training and he wrote a book called life together from his time there. And this article mentioned um, that oftentimes in our society, um, we participate in, in pious fellowship, right? So a, a religious fellowship where we go to church, we say the right things, we are in community with people, um, but we are not really in a fellowship of sinners in which we confess our sin. We, we really live, like, like I said, we when we got to New England, we really saw true community modeled uh, because you needed one another. Um, and and this article talks about the difference between kind of a really a superficial community and a very intentional heart level community where we're sharing our sins, we're sharing our faults. We have people in our lives who can say, "Hey, Thomas, man, you're not you're not being a very good husband. You're not being a very good wife." Telling you the hard things that you don't want to hear and and exposing the things that you need exposed. And we're taking, we're going to take a left turn. I mean, we, we can tie this back to football. We don't have to, but this is, you were talking about the failure of pastors and I, I don't claim to be above that, that temptation in my life by sure. any stretch. We're all capable. Of us yeah. are. Uh, but, uh, uh, but so much of that, what we, we go back and, and we sort of, you know, do the autopsy here, the spiritual mm-hmm. autopsy. And these are, these are leaders who have put themselves on an island, and they're all by themselves, right? That's they're right. they're completely yeah. alone. You talk about yep. being recruited under Tommy Bowden, and uh, there's this uh, great uh, story that runs around in, in Southern Baptist preacher circles that uh, win, lose, or draw. Tommy Bowden was still in his place in the choir at his church on Sunday mornings, right? So, and that's what what a, what a powerful yeah. testimony that that one thing was, you know. Yeah. Uh, but um, <clears throat> there's such value that comes from the local church. And, and as a pastor, one of the things that I'm driving toward other pastors to do in other churches to be is for pastors to keep in mind that they don't exist sort of over the church, but among the church. This is one of the the uh, places where I see that some of our, uh, especially late 20th century, so so those in, in early 21st century, so those 90s and the early 2000s, that, that real push toward discipleship, which is super important. But some of the holes that exist there was this idea that I can only really get real good discipleship. If I got my group of guys and I've got this guy's discipleship and we get together and we do that. And for me, that's dangerous because I can lie to those guys <laughs> real easily. I, I need to be discipled by people that see me living with my wife, right. speaking to my children, interacting with other people so that there's just not this group of guys that I connect with that are spread out across the country. And we do a video mm-hmm. conference once a week to do our, our discipleship and our confession. I I need those folks that I'm in a life group with that are looking at me and they're saying, man, why are you being so short with your wife? Mm-hmm. You know what? There seems to be some tension right there. What's going right. on? And the great value that comes when we, we're actually living that kind of lifestyle together, that as the church, we're rubbing up against one another, that iron sharpens iron experience that we have. So I appreciate well, you. And, and I mean, to piggyback off of that, uh, you know, I mentioned a man that discipled me through college. And so that was a mentorship discipleship Um but I also needed peers that were accountable to me. Right. Um, the, 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 I think true accountability can't just happen in a one. It's not an either or it's a both and. Yeah. Right. And, and, and then uh, when I started playing professionally and I'd moved to a new city, I had to find new accountability, new community there in that city. I couldn't, I can't just, you know, and I, I've maintained contact. I, I, I saw him a couple of weeks ago. I, that was a lifelong relationship, but um, when there's distance, when there's separation, when schedules are different, coaching, you know, it's a different, different schedule. Um, it has to kind of change form a little bit. And, and, and I'm thinking constantly in Atlanta, I had to find new accountability, new community. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, it yes, I a hundred percent agree with you on that. Yeah. Well, listen, let's, um, let's talk about a couple other things. Um, and 
for the record, like I, I know this about you, even though we're we're certainly not close friends. I, I know this about you. So what folks are hearing right now is is the heart of Thomas Austin. You know, we, we're going to have to bring it back to football. But what folks are hearing is 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 your commitment to Christ. And I just I just want people that are listening to know this isn't this isn't canned for you. This is who you are, right? <laughs> your conversations drift toward Jesus. Um, but uh, how, so you're you've been on staff. So tell us exactly what is your, your your role there at Clemson. You are the head coach no. in waiting. Is that what it is? <laughs> no. Well, you know, uh, maybe uh, maybe if Camden Elementary needs a, a head coach. <laughs> um, what's, your, what's your title? So. So, yeah. So I, I um, you know, kind of played at Clemson 05 to 09, uh, played professionally till 14. And then came back uh, in January 15 as a graduate assistant, which is kind of an entry level coaching position. Uh, they pay for your masters and, and you're kind of you're kind of getting into coaching. And usually that's a two year two year deal. I'm a slow learner. It took me four years. So I did it for four years. And then I was the offensive line coach at Georgia State for two uh, and then had an opportunity. Coach Sweeney called me in February, brought me back as an offensive analyst is the official title. Uh, so. When you're when when you're looking at college football, they they kind of regulate how many people can coach and instruct and all that. So you have your head coach, your ten assistants, your offensive line coach, your wide receivers coach, your quarterbacks coach, etc., and then your your GAs. You have four of those can coach, and then analysts like myself, player development, some of these other roles like Will Muschamp is an analyst down at Georgia now, and so those are non-coaching off the field roles that are more kind of support staff. Um, that kind of thing. Okay. So there you are. I'm assuming that it's a pretty involved experience, but what's it look like for you guys? What will it look like you guys? Are you just come out of spring ball? Y'all done with spring ball? Yes, sir. Yep. What's, a, what's a week look like for you? Well, right now is, 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 is a little more laid back. Um, when, when spring ends, you know, COVID has, has really thrown everything on its head. So typically um, last Monday or yeah, last last Monday would have been the beginning of the evaluation period where the 10 assistant coaches go on the road and uh, they hit all their high schools and their recruiting area. So for, you know, mo most schools, if you kind of have the bullseye in the university, you, you draw two to 400, 600 mile radius. They usually recruit kind of that area inside out first. And so coaches are going to hit all their schools, talk to high school coaches, you know, watch watch prospects at practice, that kind of thing. Well, because of COVID, we can't do that. So all the coaches right now are, are basically making those calls on the phone and, and recruiting their areas, that kind of thing. And then uh, the plan is for, for campuses to open up in, in June and allow recruits to come on campus and, uh, and, and do your, you know, your, your, your summer camps where you can evaluate kids in person. Um, but again, coaches can't go on the road. And then kind of in July, it goes dead where no one can visit, no one, which protects coaches and prospects, <clears throat> those things. And then the end of July, typically your, 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 your fall camp begins 30 days before your first game. And so uh, whenever your first game is, you kind of walk it back. And so then that's kind of when, you know, when it kicks up a notch and uh, camp is a very busy time. It's, it's football all day, every day. Uh, and then the season is, is a grind and, and, um, you know that 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 extends hopefully you know to the to the middle to, of January. For we Carolina fans, it doesn't always extend that far. <laughs> well, that's true, but you know I I, I don't well, maybe know maybe next year. But I know I, I, I've I've heard great things about Coach Beamer and know a few guys on their staff. I think they're going to do a cool. good job. So well, maybe, <laughs> maybe next year. That's what we always say. Yeah, well, you know, life is South Carolina. Man. That's exactly what it is. Listen, I don't so, call it, this, by the way, I don't call it Carolina. I call it South Carolina. Uh, yeah, I know what you do. Um, but uh, so at that pace is, I'm, I'm sure you call it a grind. How difficult is it for you to balance family, you know, wife, kid, yeah. church, all those other things you're talking about your commitment right. to your church. You're talking about your commitment to your wife, your yeah. children. How in the world do you do yeah. all that? Well, when I was first approached in, in the fall of 14 about coming back as a graduate assistant, um, that was the big hesitation for, for my wife and I about, about getting into the coaching because we know that it can be uh, very hard on the family. Um, so the fall is busy. Yeah, there's just no way around it. There's a lot of, you know, 15-hour days, 16-hour days in, in season. And there's a process that it takes to, to break down an opponent and to prepare for a game. And, you know, um, our, our job is to win football games. You know, that's, that's our job. And that's what we're measured on. 
Now we have other goals as far as developing our young men and helping them graduate. But, but, you know, we're, you know, I mean, saw South Carolina last year, right. Coach Beamer's in here now because they didn't win enough games. And so uh, that's our, that's our goal. So, so you can't shortchange that process. Um, and so uh, for us, um, you know, I, I don't mind the feast or famine aspect of it. I, I can kind of get locked in and get to the grind. And um, what I like about coaching, you know, as a player, the grind of the season became very tedious, right? It was like Monday, you knew what Monday was and Tuesday, Wednesday, you're like, man, we need a change up. We need something different. Well, as a coach, you really thrive in that because you kind of know, you know, I, I know what I have to do Monday. I know I have to do Tuesday. I know I have to do Wednesday. I know I have to do Thursday. And then you get a result on Saturday. You either win or you lose. I mean, you know, in so many fields, you know, being a pastor is one of them. You know, you get up there, you put so much time into preparing your sermon, you preach it, and then you don't always know. Man, did, did anyone get anything out of that? Actually, right? that's not entirely true for me because my no. my children, so my, my oldest son is my number one critic. He rides home with me most Sundays, and he just looks yeah. at me and says, how was it? And he said, Dad, it was, it was wasn't your best. Like, come on, <laughs> yeah. man. Like, I poured my go. heart and soul into that's this. Like, you know, I left it all out yeah. there. He goes, well, yeah, you know, Dad, right. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I've, yeah. I've, <laughs> I've heard better. Yeah, well, so, you know, as, as a young – as a GA, I was – I was kind of wearing a lot of hats and like when I played football, I, I knew what I needed to do every day to prepare to get ready. And so that was an adjustment for me. But um, so the, 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 the scheduling is, is good for us. So, and then all, from a personal standpoint is, you know, it's hard on my, on my wife. There's no doubt about it. I mean, she, um, we have a great wives community here. There's other, there's other women whose husbands I work with. She's good friends with, they have kids in the same stage of life. Um, and then for us, we have to carve out time uh, mm-hmm. that week. And so, uh, and, and in some ways, you know, we, we have to be more intentional in season because, okay, Thursday night's our date night. You know, when I get home, we'll put the kids down and then we'll go sit on the back porch or we'll go to dinner. It doesn't have to be anything extravagant. Maybe it's just the back porch. Um, you know, so we're not going to go see friends on Thursday night, right? We're going to block that out uh, because I'm leaving Friday to go to Boston College or whatever. Or if it's a home game, well, maybe Friday morning after we take the kids to school, that's our time to go on a walk together. Um, and so you have to be regimented and kind of plan it out. In the offseason right now, you know, we're at home most nights. And and honestly, in some ways it's harder because you can be on the couch with your spouse every night but not really be intentional with that time. And so uh, we, we like it. Um you know, it's definitely by, by November, December, you're tired and, and it's hard on your family. I mean, one thing, you know, COVID again has 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 messed that up. But one thing Coach Sweeney is very intentional about is allowing families to come up to the facility and and be around. And, you know, I think it's important for my my children to see me interact with the players, mm-hmm. to see to see dad as a coach. Hey, you know, dad it, my, and my wife does a great job of that. Hey, dad's not here tonight. He's working late. But you know, because of that, we get these opportunities. We're going to go to the bowl game. We're going to do some fun things that most kids don't get a chance to do. And on the flip side of that, it's important for the players to see me as a dad. There's important for them to see me get down on the ground and crawl around my 15 month old and yeah. see that I'm more than just a coach. I'm, I'm a father and a husband first and foremost. So your number one job is to win football games. But man, when you have an opportunity to invest in those guys that way, you know, what, what kind of an impact do you see with that? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I personally experienced what it's like to have a coach, you know, uh, make a huge impact in your life. And when I was a junior or senior in college, um, Jeff Davis helps with our play development. He, he had all of us in a room and, and asked every guy who was the most influential man in your life, who's the most influential man in your life. And it was either father. Um, and if there was no father present, it was probably a coach or Emma. But it was it usually – um, it was a male figure that was involved in that life. And, and a lot of those are coaches. So, um, man, coaches have incredible power over a young man. We can build them up. We can encourage them. We can help them uh, do what they can't do on their own. Um, we can strain them and push them, or we can degrade them and demean them and, and, and strip their confidence. Um, we can give them perspective and, and show them that there's life outside of football that football can't be the foundation of your life, or we can make football the most important foundational thing in their life. And, and so 
um, it's important, I think, for coaches to help those young men navigate that. And, and so, you know, as a, a one thing that I love about the college, especially at a public university, is everything we do for our guys is optional. And so, um, you know, guys have to initiate, guys have to have to want that to be a part of their life. Um, but but when the trials come and 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 you'll, you'll be amazed at the, the conversations that you can have when a young man walks into your office and, and opens up his heart because, you know, it's he doesn't have a good foundation in his life and it's been exposed. Yeah. The rest of his life is exposing those, those cracks and, and you're able to speak into his life on that. Yeah. Um, Thomas, the, um, the 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 outside picture at Clemson, even as a Carolina fan, the outside picture, honestly, is that uh, Coach Swinney is just a, is, is a really great man um, and, a, and a man that just at least creates an environment that allows for for coaches to pursue their their, their spiritual health and for players to pursue that if they if they desire. I, I know I'm putting you in an awkward spot. I mean, you can't you have to say yes right here, otherwise you know you put your job in jeopardy. I guess I don't know, but uh, now I'm kidding. Is is that been your experience there? Good good environment that allows that and encourages that. It certainly is. Um, you know, uh, Coach Sweeney. You know, when he's in recruiting meetings, he tells kids up front, "Hey, just so you know, I'm, I'm a Christian." It's it's important to me. It's part of my uh, my journey. Um, but my job is to win football games. It's not to uh, not to put the best eleven Christians on the field. It's to put the best players, the best eleven on the field. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I think he's very upfront and honest with kids in the front end. Um, I had multiple teammates that that were uh, different different faith journeys: uh, Seventh Day Adventist, atheist, Muslim, uh, Christian. Uh, different denominations. And so I think that's one thing that makes sports beautiful is, is again, just a, a very different right. group of guys. Uh, but, but Coach Sweeney says, you know, uh, he, he talks about kind of four wheels on the bus. You know, when you get to college, you got the physical, the, the football aspect of it. That's one wheel. You know, you got your emotional health aspect of it. You got your academic and you got your spiritual. And so whatever that spiritual wheel is, you know, um, we, we want to give guys opportunities to, um, you know, to 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 look into to develop in that aspect of the life. Yeah. Um, as a Christian, that's my my faith, my belief in Jesus uh, and the resurrection. And so uh, that's that's an important aspect for me. So we want to give guys opportunities to facilitate that development and the growth, because what happens is guys get to college and whether they grew up in a church or not in a church everyone kind of is confronted with well, what do I believe and why do I believe it? Yeah. And, and, and can I really base my life on that? And so, um, and, and guy gets, gets into your office and he's depressed or a guy gets into your office and his girlfriend is pregnant and something like that. And we'll, you know, what, what's the, 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 the lens by which they view the world and how do you help them work through that? Uh, and again, um, as a Christian, you know, my foundation has never been sports. It's been my faith. And, and, and so that, you know, but, but every, you know, one thing Coach Sweeney does, I think is always powerful every year is he puts a football up in the team meeting room and he calls a guy up there and he gets him to try to stand on it, you know, and says, hey, try, try to try to stand on this football, you know, and, and obviously they wow, they can't they, they, they can't balance on it. They need help by somebody else. And his point is just to emphasize that football can't be the foundation of your life. It can't be what wow. you build your life. On. And, and so giving guys opportunities um, to, to grow in other areas. So, you know, our goals for our players are, are to, to graduate. We're going to graduate the guys. We want to develop them for life after football, whether that's, um, you know, giving them internship opportunities, whether it's helping them build a resume, you know, some of those networking things they can do while they're in college to enjoy their college experience. College is fun. It's meant to be fun. That's why they have spring break off to go vacation with their family or go with their friends and then the fourth one is to win championships. And, and so uh, we feel like if we, if we keep that order kind of top to bottom, then, then we'll be successful. Uh, I think the problems arise when you flip that order and the most important thing becomes, you know, winning football games. So, so we want to win football games, no doubt about it. I mean, but, but we want to do it in a way that for me, I want to do it in a way that honors God. And I want to do it in a way that, that develops young men and makes them better men and better husbands and fathers and, and people when they, when they leave Clemson. And I just, man, I, I, I played a little bit of college football at a small school just, just one year. But uh, you say that, and I, I never thought about it until just now. I never remember seeing those men with their families. 
at all. Uh, I flipped that around in my high school experience. I had good high school ball. And I remember seeing their their families constantly, kids on the mm. field and all. Mm. And and my perception of those right. men is right. incredibly different, right? Uh, yeah. Those those men that I saw them in context with their wives or their children, mm. many of those are men I still have relationships with. Men that yeah. I still, a matter of fact, one of them I just I just texting with this morning, right? Mm. I, I I I I still lift weights regularly. That's my my stress thing, and that's in large part because of his investment in my life. And I know that, right. That's, that's where that right. comes from is from my high school. Right. Coach. But yeah, you know, I also saw I, him regularly interact with, with other people. I saw him as a, right. as a whole man, not right. only as a football coach. Right. Well, and, and the, the, the manhood piece that you mentioned is critical. And so our, our culture has one definition of manhood. Uh, and as a Christian, I have a different definition of, of manhood. And, and, and one of the things that we're trying to, teach our guys is what, what does it mean to be a man? Well, I think a man can share their emotions. They can share their feelings. They can cry when they need to cry, but they're going to take responsibility for their actions, right? They're going to be leaders. Uh, they're going to be, they're going to, you know, be men of character that, that are committed to their word. Right. And so uh, I have a, a friend who's in coaching right now uh, uh, who's newly married. And, and when he got to college, he changed, he changed his last name because he didn't want to be affiliated with his dad at all. And thought, I don't want to be involved with my dad. That's, that's not me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm taking my mom's maiden name, got to Clemson. And, and one of the story he tells all the time is just over the course of his four or five years here, he saw the way fathers on staff, whether coaches or support staff, interacted with their children. And, and, and there was a longing in him that he was missing something. And, 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 he grew up in a small town where his dad lived in, in the town. He, he saw his dad from a distance in the grocery store. Dad had nothing to do with him. And uh, towards the end of his career, his fifth year, right after he graduated, he basically reached back out to his dad and has reconciled that relationship wow. and realized that there was a piece of him that wasn't. He said, now I know why I talk the way I talk. I know the, why I walk the way I walk, you know. And, and, and just to see how he's reconciled with his father and he's going to change the narrative with, with his kids. And so I think, uh, you know, when you can see kind of generational curses broken and, and, and relationships restored, that, I mean, that's awesome. That's, that's way more important than any football game we will win. Right. And, and, and then the ripple effect that he's going to have on young men and his, his family, you know, I think that's, that's an important part of it. Thomas, that, that brings me all the way back around to a, a question I jotted down as you were talking early on. So we'll 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 kind of bring this thing close to a conclusion with this. You you talked about your dad looking at you after a series of of high school injuries and saying you don't have to do this. Now, um, your your dad is is a member of our church has become a, a great mentor and friend for me. Uh, but um, I'll tell you a story about your dad. I guess we'll share it with the whole world. I don't even know if I ever told him this story. Your dad is the only man that I've ever heard this said about. When 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 they were moving back to Camden four or five years ago, and and sort of that word got out. I didn't know your parents that time. I actually graduated uh, from college with Jen, with your sister, uh, in oh, a small world. Either. Yeah, we were we were yeah. at PC at the same time, and and um, I'd, I'd gotten to know Josh through some ministry things, but. Yeah your younger brother, but I didn't know your parents. And um, I had two men in this community who said uh, to me, if I could have picked my dad, I would have picked Tom Austin to be my dad. Mm. That's, wow. that's, that's the, the, the character. And that's, so that's, that's the man that yeah. you grew up with as your father. Yeah. Um, t- tell me about just to have your dad put his arm around you. And I know how proud he is of you as a football player. Yeah. I know yeah. I I had one of those dads that bragged on me so much in high school that I was embarrassed to be in the room with him. Yeah. I could imagine yeah. your dad was probably that way about y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, h- how powerful was it when your dad just looked at you and said, and look, he wanted you to be a football player. Right. He's a football right. player. Well, how know, powerful was it when he said, you don't have to do this? Well, you know, there was a, like I said, my dad was a military officer. And so we, we respected him. There was a healthy fear of my dad. Uh, and I'll never forget, you know, talking back to my mom. And him said, you do not talk to my wife that way. Not, not your mom, it's my wife. And one of the things I think my parents always told us was, you know, uh, the best thing we can do for you as parents is to, to love each other well. Um, and we, we tell our kids, I tell my little five-year-old girl, mommy's my best girl. She's my, I love her the most. 
you're my second, you're, you're close, you know, but, but keeping, I think, you know, you look at a lot of parenting, right. It becomes about the kids more than it becomes about the spouse. So I remember my parents leaving, going away for a night, you know, going to Charlotte or Columbia, just getting away and things that I've even now realizing the effects that I had. So, so, so prioritizing each other, um, we could never pit them against each other within the household. You couldn't say, well, mom said this, dad said this. Um, my dad modeled um, work ethic and providing for his family. Um, and then, you know, one thing that I love about my dad is he, you, you, he always told you how much he loved you, how much he cared about you, how proud he was of you. Whether you'd won a game or lost a game, it wasn't, it wasn't dependent. It was an unconditional love. It wasn't dependent on my performance. Um, and, and seeing my dad, like I remember my older sister was four years older. She went to Thomas Sumter Academy and man, we, we drove all over every small little town going to see her play basketball, right? That was important to him for her to know that we were in the stands. Um, and then I think seeing my parents model generosity, um, and, and having people over to their house, you know, I think that was something that we always saw. Um, them model for us. And it's been, it's been important for us, the hospitality aspect of it. Um, and I just think, you know, most importantly, I think just my, my dad will tell you, he's the chief of sinners. I mean, he, he is, he is, he understands his sin and he'll, he knows um, his imperfections and he doesn't try to act like he's perfect. Um, and even, you know, even recently he wrote, he wrote me a handwritten note. And, and when he was up here there, watched the kids for us while we were moving from Atlanta and, and just, you know, um, just the work, you know, he was, he's an encourager. He's an encourager and, and always encourages people um, and always, you know, enjoys, you know, whether it was taking us to Dairy Queen or whether whatever acts of love and, and care and spending time with us and, and taking us on vacation. And so, I mean, I, I you know, I, I could I, I probably have not done a good enough job telling my dad how much I love, respect and, and care and appreciate him. I think as uh, as I continue to you know grow as a as a father, you know, I, there are different things that I realized, man, he did that really well. Well, you know what? He didn't do that the best, but he knew it and he and he owned up to it. You know? yeah. and, and so um, I think that's the that's what I think I can say about. Tom Austin is the Tom Austin people saw in the community was also the Tom Austin that was in the household. Wow. And, um, you know, I think, I don't think I fully understood that until I got to college or I still don't fully understand it. When I got to college and, and realized there were a lot of my teammates who never knew their father, wow. man, I, I, I probably took that for granted. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, I, my, uh, yeah, dad's a tremendous man. And, and, um, I think, you know, it's just the biggest, my biggest pie takeaway is just um, that he wasn't perfect. And, and he, he, uh, he, he, he told people he wasn't perfect. Yeah. So last question for you, and I'll, we'll close with this one. I should have probably prepped you with this, but you have an opportunity to spend time with a lot of young men. And uh, some of them come from great backgrounds. Some of them come from troubled backgrounds. Um, so Thomas Austin, the football coach at Clemson University, looking at uh, at men in communities all across the country right now, and you see these boys without father figures in their lives, without good leadership. What advice do you give to Christian men um, and, and how they could impact young men? Yeah, you know, I think it kind of goes back to that article I mentioned about entering into the fellowship of sinners. Um I, I, you mentioned it earlier. We are more socially connected than we've ever been through social media, you know, through gaming guys can get on Xbox and play with someone in, you know, across the country. And so we're more socially connected. We have more social media platforms than we've ever had. And yet all the, all the research shows us that men are, are less connected than they've ever been. Um, I, you know, I hear my wife call one of her friends on the phone and have a 45 minute conversation on the phone and, and I'm realized that I, I don't always, one of the first things when I'm busy, the first things I lose is carving out time to really be in deep, knowing, accountable relationships with other men. And so I think um, finding those people who are not going to tell you, you know, the goal of a coach is not to tell a kid what he wants to hear, it's, it's to help the kid get better. 
And a lot of times that's encouraging them what they do well, but it's also pointing out what they don't do well and what they need to improve on. And yet as, as friends, we don't always do that to our friends and we don't have relationships where I can call you on something. Hey, you're being a bad husband. Uh, and we have a relationship where that takes courage on, on both ends and it takes uh, reciprocity on both ends. And so I think um, being in relationships with people that are going to tell you something that you don't want to hear, but ultimately, you know, is for your good. Um, and it's edifying to you. Um, and uh, so I, I think that's just my own personal experience. What I see out of a lot of kids is they don't know how to have tough conversation with people. You know, it becomes very, it becomes a lot of fighting. You know, you look at our, our society in general, I think we, we have a hard time expressing different points of view without it becoming very personal and being uh, and yelling at each other. And so, you know, and, and I was at a, I was at an event this last week for an 18 year old young man here in Clemson. His dad asked me to be a part of it. There were 10 men and we went around, gave advice to the young man. We'd all been in, in, involved in his life in some form or fashion. We gave him a book that we like. Um, and as I was sitting there, I just thought, you know, who are, who are the men in nine years when my son is 18, who are the men that I would want at this table? speaking into my son's life. Who are the, who are the men that I want to be in, in relationships with that, that can tell me what I don't want to hear and, and, and the, the families and the wives that I want my wife to be around my family to be around. Cause we only have so much time, you know, and, and uh, we got to invest it wisely, you know, so who, who do I want to invest it with? And Thomas, I'm, I'm going to piggyback off what you said. I was going to give you the last word. I'm going to steal it. I apologize. But, well, and, pastors have a hard time. Uh, whatever, man. You're as long-winded as I am. Um, but that 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 idea of, of these men, plural, who are investing in our children is something that we've latched onto. Mm. We're very yeah. grateful that our church is filled with men other than me that are going to invest in my boys and women right. other than my wife, because like, I, 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 I don't want it to be the case. One day, my kid, one of my kids, all of my kids, maybe are going to have an issue. They're going to need somebody yep. to talk to, and they're not going to want to come to one of us. Exactly. So I want them to have all those people. Yep. So I would just say to folks that are listening, if you're involved, if you're looking for a church, um, find a good preacher. Yeah. Find a great pastor, but, but look for a church that is filled with those kind of, of adults that are going to invest in your kids because you can't do that all by that's part of being healthy community. If you're in a church that doesn't have those kind of mature believers that are that not only can invest in you but who who can be those friendships with your children then work to make that church healthier so that those people exist or find somewhere else. And I, I, I say that with fear and trepidation. I, I don't want to urge people to leave their their home church, but your kids you need that community, but man, your kids need that that uh, really that community of saints yep. that's going to come around them to, 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 to be a, a, a community. You know, Hillary Clinton said one thing, right. You know, it does take a village. She meant it in a different way than we would necessarily mean it, but man, what a blessing it is for your kids. So, um, so tell me this, and then I promise I'll give you the last one. This was a big deal. You thought through the whole thing. What book did you give? What book did I give? Yeah. Oh man. So I, I love books. It was the, it was the Clemson playbook, wasn't it? <laughs> that's secret. Uh, I, I'm yeah, I'm long winded too. I can't give a quick answer. I love books. I have a lot of books. My wife says I have too many books, but a majority of them are in storage. Oh, I know. But see, you're 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 professional. You, you can you can you have office space. I, I don't. So I um I because of that article that I've mentioned a few times have been on my heart. I I picked up. I hadn't read that book Life Together since I was in college but I, I downloaded the audio tape and was re-listening to it. And so I gifted him that book. Uh, number one, it's short. It's like a hundred pages. Um, and I just thought, man, this would be a great book to maybe go with, go, go through with him. And also this would be a good work to go through other people uh, with other people. Um, one of the books that I thought about that his dad actually gave to him was living the cross centered life by CJ Mahaney, uh, which was a huge book. Uh, very impactful for me in college would be was another one I thought about, but I, you know, I can't, it's hard for me just to pick one. Yeah. You know? Let the record show that, you know, an offensive analyst at Clemson university did not give away a comic book. 
That's right. That's right. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thomas, I really appreciate it. We could continue this, but uh, folks wouldn't want to listen if we went much longer. No, I um, understand. Great. Man, I appreciate I, the opportunity, man. I'm so grateful for your time and for uh, the kind folks at Clemson being supportive of you being able to do this. So I appreciate it. I certainly hope you have a great week. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. I hope that you will use the information in this podcast to encourage you to love Jesus in the ordinary aspects of your daily life. Jesus surrounded himself with very ordinary people who made a difference in the world because of their Savior. You can make a difference too. If you would like to read more of my writings or find other podcasts, you can find information about me on my website at www.craigthompson.org. For information about Malvern Hill Baptist Church and sermons from our church, you can go to our website at www.malvernhill.org. Until next time, use the ordinary margins of your life to make an extraordinary difference in the world around you.